Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. February 27, 2020 here on the Mike Abadir Show. This is the co-host Gino Vocola, the main man, Mike Abadir, alongside, as always. And Mike, uh, lots of things to talk about in the world of sports. The thing that kind of piqued my interest the most today that we've, we've started to really kind of hear the uh, the momentum behind is that it looks like Tom Brady is not going to be a Patriot next year. Yeah, that's... Uh... At least the uh, speculation right now, but I mean, just because the Patriots have not reached out, that's not necessarily. Yeah, this, this a is a money thing sign. and like a move. This is a move. What you have to do, you don't say, "Oh yeah, we're going back for sure." You, at the very least, you're you like the agent and you would be telling Tom to do the same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, every situation is a little bit different. I I don't know what their plan is. I don't know what his goals are. You know, I don't know. I, I would suspect that it's not money. So if it's not money, what is it? Is it Super Bowls? Well, you, you're at a place where they have a pretty good formula, right? Do you want to be in a rebuild? Is there I a city th- you want to maybe live in? I think you've always wanted to play in your hometown. Well, you're not going to be a 49er, but Raiders, L.A., California guy. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's a tough thing. But all I, all I can tell you is, just because the two parties have not communicated as of right now, does not at all mean that he is not going to be a Patriot. Now, maybe that some of these reporters have some insight into him actually saying that he's not going to be a Patriot. That would be a different story. Do you know what I mean? But if, if this yes. is based on the lack of communication, I, I, that doesn't hold any weight with me. No, it's just, it's just crazy to hear it out there. You know, he's one of those, those players that you, you figured it would just be a lifer for their team. It, in, in sports nowadays, we just don't see it very often anymore, or someone just is with one organization all the way through. But he was one that you kind of always felt like, with Brady and with Belichick and with Kraft over there, the three of them were kind of like this three-headed monster. And they, it, but it was the really the last couple of years. I think for the first real like rumblings that maybe that I can remember hearing was with the Jimmy G stuff. It seemed like it was like perfect with them for like what fifteen years or so. And then when it was like it was almost like they were grooming the backup, his replacement. I, it's like it didn't sit well with Brady. And since then, it, it it felt like the relationship hasn't quite been as good as it was all those years prior. And I I feel like he's probably starting to look at him and say now, hey, look, I can't really do this myself the way I used to. We got to get some players that I can throw the ball to. And from everything that I read, he was very, very um, adamant um, in the locker room this year about trying to you know, get Antonio Brown and trying to give him another shot in there. He just knew he knew that they didn't have anybody to throw the ball to now with Gronk retiring. That was his safety valve. I think he's looking at them and kind of playing a little hardball saying, hey, you got to go get me a number one, a legitimate number one receiver or two or three solid receivers because they just didn't have much this year. They tried with Sanu, but I mean, that that was that was very failed. And he's I think he's kind of like seeing his own mortality here now. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, once again, what what is the goal? You know, if if I'm his agent, uh, Don Yee is his agent. If I'm Don Yee, I'm you know, I want to know 
you know, what what do we want to accomplish in, in 2020? Is it to put up gaudy numbers? Is it to win championships? Like I said, it's kind of hard for me to figure it out because he's kind of accomplished everything. Sure. You, you know, you, you see someone be, like, what, like, what is his motivation still? You know what well, I mean? Like I, someone like him, right? Like I think what? it would have to be something along the lines of what is he going to transition into after football? Sure. You know, so if it's maybe Hollywood related, if it's going the route of a, a Tony Romo, perhaps, you know, I don't know. I've actually never really heard Tom Brady speaking in an extended manner anyways to really know if his personality is as dry as the Patriots way. Could he be, in, you know, in the broadcast booth as an analyst? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I mean, I don't I, really have I, a much think- of a take on him. He's 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 actually got a pretty good personality. Like he's got like he's he's pretty funny, and I think he's got a good sense of humor. And I, th- I think he would be good at that job. To me, he just seems like someone who will be like an owner. You know, what I mean, just like a, like a part owner of a team, just invest in a team. And I don't know, but but again, it's kind of like the Kobe thing. He is so driven. He he every year he it's like he has another point to prove. He's one of those guys that we we always joke about it on this show about like the 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 locker room material that they create over there. Like he's finding ways to create chips on his shoulder to keep him motivated. So you always wonder with someone like this, like I just hope we're not still talking about Tom Brady in five years. I I think he still has another year or two left in him, but I don't want to see him, you know, five years down the line and his love for the game. And he's still kind of hanging on because it will definitely tarnish the memory of, of all these great years. And, and, you know, we see him when the weather starts to get a little cold at the end of the year and he's already been through, you know, 12, 13, 14 weeks. He does seem like it, it, it weighs on him at the end of the year, man. When you get older, it's just harder to recover. Yeah. I mean, you say you don't want to hear about him in five years. I'm not even sure that I want to hear about him right now, especially too, with the way that media clings on, you know, he's not, he's not like an upper tier quarterback anymore. So, you know, if it wasn't Tom Brady, if it was just anybody else, you know, we wouldn't be like putting up the same numbers and having the same skill sets. We wouldn't even be talking about him, but because mm-hmm. it is Tom Brady, we do. So now it's like, Oh, they haven't had a conversation with the, with Tom Brady. Yet. The team hasn't talked to him yet. Oh, it's big news. Oh, his contract voids on March 17th. Well, yeah, all of them do <laughs> that are expiring this year. That's not breaking news. And so that aspect of things, I think, can, gets, can get a little bit annoying to people, especially sure. people that are like, you know, Brady'd out, Patriots'd out, you know, that okay, type what? of thing. And the media just keeps extending it. But, I mean, reality of, of it is if it was, you know, I don't know, uh, pick, pick, pick an average middle-of-the-road quarterback, would we even okay. be talking about it? Well, let's, let's go opposite coast then. Phillip Rivers entering free agency. And we know that from – from what this sounds like, this one is a done deal. I don't think he will be coming back to the Chargers. And in fact, uh, Anthony Lynn came out a few weeks ago, and he was very, very complimentary of Tyrod Taylor. You know, he said Tyrod Taylor is a heck of a quarterback. We couldn't have a better backup right now. He has an opportunity to maybe step into a starting role. I've had Tyrod before in Buffalo. I know what the young man brings to the table in the passing and running game. He takes care of the football. I believe every year he started, he's been the number one quarterback in taking care of the football. There's actually stats that kind of prove that he's his interception percentage is excellent i think he's second uh behind aaron Rodgers and patrick mahomes among like uh you know active started or active quarterbacks who have started like a, a certain amount of games so would you what do you think about philip well his situation is totally different right sure because, sure uh rivers actually you're right 
he was actually told, he was informed by the ball club that they are going in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So this is something uh, that is, this is a done deal. I can yeah, tell you is, that this is confirmed. He's going to be looking for another ball club. Um, you know, I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time to see where he might be a good fit. You know, I think it would be one of those situations that's probably going to have to resemble maybe the maybe Broncos the in 2013, where you have an opportunity to do really, really well because of your defense, but it's all going to be about who's who's throwing the ball. Maybe maybe Jacksonville, Chicago. You know, um, yeah. Have I mean, they cut ties yet? Which it seems like they're they, almost they, so stubborn. I know to admit a mistake that it almost seems like they they're would gonna be, roll it back out again. Yeah, and here's the other thing too that's a concern is that Rivers historically has not been very good in cold, in weather, cold weather, which is not that sure. dissimilar from uh, you know a lot of West Coast yeah. you know, quarterbacks. Um, that doesn't mean that he can't adjust or whatever, but I mean, at this stage of his it's, career, I don't know if he would. But that's the type uh, I'll say of this. I, that he, he was, strikes me for. as a man of, of, of uh, deep faith. He, he's, he's very devout, and I would be surprised as an example that he would go to Las Vegas. I don't think he wants to have his uh, you know army of kids living out there. And just to illustrate how close he is with his family and many people that maybe are on, in other parts of the country might not know this, when, when the team moved from San Diego to Los Angeles, and when we say Los Angeles, we're actually talking about the most, probably the most northern part or pretty close to the most northern part um, of, uh, of L.A., he commuted from San Diego each and every day. Then Think about that. Family, a limousine just, takes him each and every day. It's not even a helicopter like, like God rest his soul. Thing yeah, it's a limo bus thing that he can watch film on. Exactly. Yeah. He just studied, studied the, the game plan, film, playbook, back and forth. And, and so, I don't know. What, what kind of town would, uh, would fit that type of person? Carolina Panthers? Right, sure. he's an NC State guy. Yeah, right. Maybe that's that's a good fit, you know. And we've got a few new, new head coaches around the league, so it'll be interesting to see kind of, um, you know, who says, you know, we've got a good enough defense, you know, we've got a McCaffrey, you know. Well, the Panthers' defense wasn't very good, but I don't know they were very injury. They have enough risk. pieces. It feels like. Yeah, you They're know, maybe far look, away. Yeah, with him and McCaffrey, you don't need to necessarily have a dynamic young quarterback. Perhaps I don't know. It'll be I interesting. Just can't see either. Neither one of these guys can can go to a team that's like rebuilding, or a team that like had a bad year last year, or a team that feels like they're far off. It's just they, it doesn't make it wouldn't make any sense for them, and it wouldn't make any sense for a team to lock up either one of these guys for three or four years, you're talking about a one or two year fix it for a team that might not be far away. You know, a team who would, who would have been perfect if, if their, their plan a this year doesn't go smoothly would be a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers too, because if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't come back and throw well, the quarterback, the backup quarterback situation they were dealing with was atrocious last year, and they still almost made the playoffs with Mason Rudolph, who was terrible. Then you had Duck Hodges in, and you went back and forth between the two of them. Neither one of them seemed really competent throughout most of the year. That's a situation where, you know, just average quarterback play would have put them into the playoffs. You know, that that might be one. What about the Colts? You know, uh, they, I was just going to say, what about Indy? You know, yep. that could be a possibility. Have they, did, you know, you know, have they gone all in with Brissett yet? If not, I will say he 
was playing pretty well until he got banged up. But I don't know if he's ever going to be your guy who can take you there. Like, you you have to really, really have everything else, I think, for a guy like Brissett. I would prefer someone with experience like Brady or like uh, or like Rivers in that situation. Sure. I mean, I think the ideal thing would have been, uh, you know, what Tannehill kind of stepped yeah. into yep. in, in, in Tennessee. I'm not so sure that that's available anywhere. You know, just kind of looking up and down the list of teams. Um, you know, I don't think that there's somebody that could utilize him that that isn't already invested in their quarterback, at least for the next year or two outside of the teams that we've kind of mentioned. So how about this though? How about this? A, 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 it's not a trade, but just a, a swap of teams, rivers to new England, right? Brady to chargers. To chargers. I'll tell you this. I don't think new England would be that much worse. And I, I will tell you that that would do a hell of a lot of good for the Chargers. Even if they didn't win games, they would sell a lot of Tom Brady jerseys and a lot of tickets for uh, for, a, for a team that kind of gets lost in the mix now. I think we both kind of realized that, you know, the Rams have a fan base. And what was nice about the Rams when they moved out to L.A., they've been very successful right away. Like, they even their down year is still a pretty solid year. Whereas the Chargers, they kind of got lost in the mix, you know. Out here, they don't really have a fan base. The stuff with their owner moving them from San Diego, and then there was rumors about them moving again to a different place. They need some, and they've underachieved since yep, they've been here. They need something, someone to be the the draw there. Tom Brady would be the perfect fit for them, even even if they weren't winning games. He would do so much for them. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I think that they probably hoped that um, you know that they have, they'd have more loyalists from San Diego you know, make the trek out to mm-hmm. L.A. by uh, or to Carson, at least for the last couple of years, and to, uh, you know, buy PSLs and things of that nature. Didn't quite work out that people way. A lot of people are very that. resentful, yeah. very resentful. So they didn't, you know, they, they didn't transition with the team. You know, I, I know a lot of people said, you know what, we're going to now just start going to San Diego State football games. They are the beneficiaries of, uh, of the Chargers leaving, yeah. you know, uh, which is kind of funny because San Diego State's had, you know, a decently nice program, but it's never caught the attention of local San Diegans for the most part. But transitioning now to the season at hand and the next couple of seasons, we're, we're really – coming down to the wire in terms of figuring out whether there are going to be seasons or whether there's going to be a lockout. Okay, yeah, talk to us a little bit about the CBA. What are, yeah. what are, what's going on with the CBA stuff? You know better than anyone. So what basically, lay it down for us and for someone who's not who, who's not even paying attention, like what are they fighting about? What do the what is the owners, what do they want? What are they proposing? And what are the players um, uh, disagreeing with? What, what do they not want? What does their side want? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty loaded question, and I'm going to try to summarize, sure, it, sure. summarize it as best I can. And there's going to be a lot left out because it's pretty jam-packed, right? Like my summary, my personal summary is nine pages, <laughs> and that's a summary. <laughs> so uh, basically, in short, what the deal is is this. The last CBA was extended in 2011, and we signed a uh, 10-year labor agreement. Typically speaking, when you're about two years away from expiration – you start discussions about what are we going to do? Are we going to just going to extend this thing and say exact same terms, three more years, five more years, that type of thing? That's happened in the past before. This time around, the economics of the game have changed really dramatically. You know, huge, huge TV deals by Fox, NBC, CBS, 
ESPN, ABC. So uh, as as the dollar amounts have grown, especially internationally, and through the TV deals, it's now a point where we got to restructure this thing and make it work. Plus, there are a lot of issues that the players kind of want want dealt with. Example, limiting Roger Goodell's power. The lack of guaranteed contracts. The biggie that's not being talked about, Gino, that much in the media, and I know you'll appreciate this, is because these guys have a very short shelf life, what happens to like the mid-round draft pick? Say around three, around four, around five. We've seen a lot of those guys do really well. But they're locked into a rookie deal that's, let's say, a four-year contract, five-year contract, fifth-year option. But let's just say somebody like that that emerges and becomes one of the better players in the league. He, you know, that first contract is going to be probably 65, 70% of what he makes in his whole career. So they want to be able to say, you know what? After the second year, you could get out of that rookie contract and renegotiate. Yeah. I'll give you an example of who would have been primed for this would have been the uh, Colts linebacker. Uh, what, what did he finish last year, the, the year or the year before his rookie season? I, I think he was second Bender, in, in, yeah, in yeah. tackles. Yeah. First in the league. I mean, he was right up there. See, somebody like that would be playing on a rookie deal for three more years. See, in baseball, you could play on a rookie deal until you're 25 or 26, and you still have some prime years ahead of you. You get to 26, 27 in football, you know, odds are you, you, you maybe have another two, three, four years left. So they're looking at the unfairness of that, the lack of guaranteed contracts, how to handle a 17th game, how to handle the revenues that are going to be coming in from the new stadium in Los Angeles and the Super Bowls and so on and so forth. And here's a biggie. I know you're going to love this one, Gino. What to do with the gambling money that comes in. Yeah. Right. So what happened the other day was, or last week, there was a proposal that the uh, owners put out. It was okay from my perspective. And the, the way the process is, I'll tell you what, actually. I'll break it down for you very succinctly. Let's take After our the first break. commercial there break. There we go. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you kind of the lowdown as to what was in the last proposal, how it's tweaked this time, and why I think this one is actually going to go through. Stay with us. We'll be back in a jiffy. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and Mike, who knows this stuff better than anyone, is giving us the uh, the specifics for the uh, the CBA issues going on right now with the NFL. Yeah, and I think I was just about to uh, you know give give you the uh, the nuts on on uh, the gambling stuff. Uh, obviously, that's that's an issue that they're trying to kind of get out ahead and anticipate. You know, the revenues that are going to be coming out of that. But basically, the the main conclusion out of it is that the players are going to re- receive a share of the revenues related to legal gambling operations in stadiums. And that's not going to be limited to just NFL. So gambling from NBA, horse racing, you name it, whatever money comes in, they're going to get a piece of. That could be, that could be pretty big. Yeah. That could be pretty big. Um, for the, this upcoming season, we're going to have two more playoff games. So that's in 2020. We're going to have two more playoff games. For 2021 and 2022, we're going to go to the 17-game schedule plus the two playoff games. So there's going to be more December and January football than ever before. I don't know what that does to the Super Bowl. I don't know if that means that we start. What I think is probably going to end up happening is the EDA preseason game, which is cool because nobody really cares about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, so those are like some of the big highlights. I think I briefly mentioned the uh, L.A. Stadium thing. So 70 percent of like the incremental revenue from the L.A. Stadium um, is is going to be go to a fund in short. Um, we're going to take care of a lot of the old timers that didn't get medical, that didn't get a lot of money <laughs> during their playing career. You know, guys that played in the 60s and 70s and, and maybe halfway through the 80s when there weren't really big dollar contracts. So we're going to make sure that their pension fund is uh, replenished and they get a raise in the rising costs of the world. Um, so that was kind of a big thing to uh, take care of the pioneers. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, 
are there going to be guaranteed contracts all of a sudden? No, that's going to be kind of a big issue. But there's going to be more guaranteed compensation, which is going to help. Um, the league minimums are going to go up across the board for all positions. So a year one player in 2020 gets a guaranteed minimum of $610,000. And that's the highest it's ever been. So, uh, and all these things, you know, for an agent are good because, yeah. you know, we get a percentage of, of what they make. So um, those things are good. The other thing too is I'm sure you've heard that the players get paid over a 17 week period, which is the, the 16 regular season games in the buy. So just easy math. If, you, if you're going to make 1.7 million, you get a hundred thousand dollars every week for 17 weeks. No problem. Right? Well, not really because players aren't that great at budgeting their money and believe it or not, by the time September rolls around again, a lot of these players are desperate for that paycheck because they haven't gotten paid since January. Yeah. Right. So now the owners have agreed to stretch it out over 34 weeks instead of 17 weeks. So that's going to be pretty big. Uh, you know, some of these issues are probably boring for the everyday fan. No, everyday but, fan but these were nice. key points for for the players, um, including more injury protection, um, more rookie, rookie distribution for veteran benefits. You remember the days of old where like a first round quarterback was getting paid like eight times as much as his backup who used to be a starter just two years prior. Yeah. You know, th there's none of that. Um, and it's even changing even more so to, to bet to really be in the betterment of veterans. We really want to say if you're going to be lasting in the league, you're going to be taken care of just in the same way you would in baseball or in basketball. It's the best that we could do as owners without guaranteeing things. But at least if you make it, you're going to get taken care of. That's kind of the, the thought process. So those are the main things. Uh, there's a few other stuff in terms of the roster. Um, there might be a total of uh, two more players on the active roster, two more players on the practice squad. So those are more jobs in the league, you know, times 32 teams. You know, that's four more jobs. So, you know, 100 and whatever that is, you know, 130 more players in the league, 132, whatever that adds up to. Um, raises on practice squad salaries, things of that nature. So those are pretty much the main highlights. Uh, a few other things that are in terms of benefits, like tuition reimbursement. You know, we really want to push these guys to continue um, either to finish their degree or to get a master's or continue their education. So that's good stuff. Group insurance benefits increased. Uh, they added vision, finally. If you could believe it, they didn't have vision. And I think, didn't we hear about some quarterback? Uh, maybe it was Jameis Winston. Yeah, I believe famous Jameis was blaming the INTs on, on poor vision. And no there may be something to it because <laughs> yeah. he actually had poor vision. So, um, And that could be huge. That could be huge for him. So he might be a, a sleeper fantasy pickup because now he's got vision uh, in his medical plan. I mean, neither, these are all just like little things that we don't even think about when we just watch. You know, we figure exactly. like, oh, NFL player, like they make millions. Like I'm sure they've got the best of everything. And, and it's not. Every union is different. And, and when we talk about like comparing sports unions, like the NFL, 
you know, compared to like the MLB, like the MLB players association is, is like unbelievable. It is so strong. Like the players don't let anything go. And it's a lot different in the NFL versus like, you know, the the way things happen, the way things get done. No, no, look, I'm going to be very blunt about it. The the MLB players union is the gold standard. Yep. The NFL is, uh, it sucks. It's hard too, because Uh, it's a really, really crappy game. Yeah. yeah. You know, our union doesn't have, a lot of leverage mm-hmm. just yep. just doesn't and it's it's kind of ridiculous too because i believe somebody who's a guru in terms of analytics and sabermetrics came out one day and said baseball will always go on it will always flourish and he ran some so, some statistical model that figured out if you got rid of every mlb player in the league right now that it would take three years to replenish the league and get like to like 85% as to where it was in terms of talent. Yeah. Which is really crazy to think about. I think NFL, it would probably double that. Oh, yeah, because the so quarterbacks the, in general. Yeah, talk, exactly. And, like, and the kicker. I mean, it's funny, like, at some of the skill position players like that or like a quarterback and a kicker, you're all, we're always laughing and scratching our heads like, there's there's really only – like 12 to 15 guys in the entire world that can play this position like well at this level. And it it is true. It really is the case. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about it in those terms, you know, the players are really, really important in, uh, in, in the NFL, but yet we've got the least leverage of of any sport. And ultimately that's just not going to change. And so we're always going to be kind of grinding, scrapping. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. It's, that's always going to be the case, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first to say I'm, I'll throw our, uh, our our leader under the bus. We don't have a very good – we haven't had a very good leader since uh, Gene Upshaw. And so, um, you know, that's – I'm just being upfront and honest about it. And uh, I would say that to – in front of anybody. And uh, and uh, I'm sure that that person knows exactly what I'm talking about because he's not necessarily very well liked. And I'm talking about D. Smith. So um, don't want to dwell on that too much. But um, – have you know, seen- that's pretty much the deal. So I guess uh, to, to kind of wrap this up, you know, w- the way it works is you go back and forth, owners and players, back and forth, back and forth. And you finally come up with this document that we think everybody could agree on. The uh, executive council and each team's player reps have all voted yes on it. So now it's going to be going to the players at large, which means that any player who is an active union member paying his dues gets a vote. And we need two thirds to pass this thing. So it's already gone through, you know, the agents drafting and and the the owners drafting and the proposals and all all the feedback and implementation of what everybody wants. Now it's, uh, there's some touch-ups that have to be made, but in terms of the core terms those get voted on and if the uh, players sign off on it it's the last step then we're going to be there and we're going to have football for 10 more years it's a 10-year deal bit long in my opinion because the economics change so frequently oh yeah but there was a little bit of pushback internally on the basis of the economy has just been so freaking good for a while now that there has you have to anticipate a downturn so we want to make sure that if there is a downturn, that we don't get hurt. We insulate ourselves from a down economy because, you know, a hot economy isn't going to last forever. So they felt a 10-year deal insulates us. 
uh, and isolates us from uh, any possibility of uh, of a you know recession or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that's a huge concern because the NFL seems a little bit recession proof. If anything, when when there's a recession and people are staying home more, you know, all, you know, you uh, you bet on on beer sales and on uh, television consumption of entertainment. So I think the NFL was probably a little bit overly concerned about that for no reason. But hey, it is what it is, and uh, we'll be good until twenty thirty one. So. We, Excuse we me, 2030, because that would be the 10th season, the 2030 season. So it's a 2020 to 2030 deal. We talked about what I think is is like America's new pastime in the NFL. One of America's old pastimes wasn't even baseball. It was boxing. And we had a big fight over the weekend, Mike. We talked a little bit about it last week, previewing the fight. It was quite an event. The rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, this is from uh, Mike Coppinger, generated in the neighborhood of approximately 850,000 pay-per-view buys in North America, which would be the best performance by far for a heavyweight fight since the Tyson-Lewis fight in 2002. To give you uh, an idea, their first fight, Wilder Fury 1, sold around 325,000 buys. So people were talking about this fight, and in, in a day and age when, you know, I'm sure that that number times five is the amount of people that were actually watching it as far as streaming or, you know, in groups or, or you know, in different places. What were some of your overall thoughts of the fight? Uh, we've we've kind of heard some things now in the last few days that there will be a, a, a third fight coming up, a rematch after they had the draw in the first one. But what, what do you kind of think coming out of it? Yeah, no, I like where you're going with that in terms of just uh, the public consumption of it. Because, yeah, there was a lot of demand. There was a lot of excitement. And uh, you could tell by the star power at the actual uh, fight itself at the MGM. You know, they, you know when they kind of go around and, and show the stars that are there, there are quite a few big-name celebs, uh, athletes, you know, coaches, you name it, um, that were in attendance, which was kind of cool to see. I don't remember a big boxing fight that had this kind of uh, drawing power, star power. Even, uh, you know, Mark Davis and Gruden had uh, good seats to witness the fight. Uh, Cheryl and I, we went, uh, and you're talking about, you know, maybe a one order, meaning a group of five or six or a boxing party at somebody's home. We actually went to a uh, restaurant slash sports bar. It was packed house. It's a two-story place. Got tons of TVs. You know, it kind of looks like, a, you know, like a vessels club or a uh, turf club, at any really nice racetrack. And, um, man, this place was full. There was not an open seat in the house. All eyes on the glued on the screens. And I was just happy to see that. It's like any time that you, you like a sport that's kind of an underdog, you know, you, you love seeing that interest in the Kentucky Derby or a horse race mm-hmm. or a boxing fight. And you want to see this that sport flourish. So I kind of felt that kind of pride of, you know, I love boxing and this is what's happening. So that was really cool. And uh, and then obviously the, the fight itself, um, I don't want to call it a, a letdown from an entertainment perspective, but it was a letdown in that. You know, obviously, you want to see that your fights go the distance. And their first uh, you one want to see so be very competitive. But it was very one-sided, Gino. Yeah. It was very one-sided. And uh, I, Wilder, I don't know what this the strategy, I don't know enough, you know, I, I'm not a purist in terms of, you know, I'm a fan. You know, I don't know the, the, the business. I don't know the, the training. Side. I don't know yeah, the, very, yeah. you know, those kind of things. So I don't know what their strategy going into this fight was. Um, and it's not, it wasn't one of those things where he wasn't on, on attack mode. You know, because he was, but he 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 didn't he didn't land you know a, a lot of super impactful punches, 
and uh, he, he wasn't as evasive as maybe you'd hope he'd be. He, and they uh, and Fury landed some big punches. Yeah, I, I th- they both bulked up. They both wanted to put on weight. Fury was up to 273, and Wilder was like two thir- just over 230, and that was the highest that Wilder has ever weighed in. And I, I think that was like slowing him down a little bit, just the added weight and, and not having – Dealt with it a whole heck of a lot. He was this power puncher, and he's not even really like a like a a great boxer fighter, you know, stylistically. He's more of a I can knock you out any minute type type guy. But I I don't think the added weight did him any good. And then we obviously have heard in the last few days since then the excuses that he's made. I guess the, for him it's a reason, and it's really weird because Wilder, when you hear him talk, he and D- and Fury they get along very well. They, in fact, Wilder had mentioned, or Fury had mentioned that when he was struggling a little bit, Deontay Wilder had like kind of helped him get through it. He was like a friend to him when he was like having some really tough times, and when he, you know, had to relinquish the one of the belts, uh, a couple of the belts, and when he had gained all the weight, he was going through depression. So they get along well. So it's funny because Wilder will say something like, "Well, I had too much gear on my in the entrance, you know." I I had to weigh forty. I had forty pounds of entrance gear when I came to the ring, and by the time I came to the ring, my legs were tired. But then he'll give Fury like all the respect in the world, you know. At the same time, he'll say like, "I mean, Fury was the best man. He won. He deserved to win." And he was even mad at the referee for docking Fury a point at one point. So it's it's it definitely sounds like someone who got knocked knocked around a little bit, almost like they, yeah. They were and it was you know, yeah. And it wasn't like a case of like a poor sportsmanship or being a poor loser. I think no. he was kind of citing, you know, one of the reasons, yeah. you know, cause he also blamed some other things too, tactically and, and training wise. And they, you know, they, got, they the fired fight. the assistant, the yeah, assistant trainer yeah. already who threw in the it, towel. Exactly. But you know, uh, first of all, why the hell would you put on 40, you know, it, it, an outfit that weighs you down that much going into a fight that makes and, zero, absolute zero sense to me. You, you'd think that you'd want to go in there with, Peak energy, you know. If you think about like like those school video games, that meter, (laughs) you know, just doesn't make any sense. And then the other thing that was kind of interesting to me too is he he said he was doing that in celebration of Black History Month, but I don't know if it's futuristic. How is that a an ode to Black History? I don't I don't understand it. I know the color of the outfit was dark, but I don't see any. Thing that ties it into black history. I'm not sure what he was even wearing. Looked like a space outfit slash some kind of, uh, you know, dark evil character or something, you know, something out of Star Wars maybe or something like that. So the whole thing was was kind of sloppy in terms of that aspect of things. You know, for well, a championship fight, it seemed kind of a little bit more circus-esque. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about this, but we're coming up on a break. So let's we'll, let's take a little break, and then when we return, we'll kind of talk more on the Tyson Fury side, and then what are the plans going forward for these two and for Anthony Joshua. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel this week on the revolution with jim and trav it's the postseason shakedown big game hunting seasons have wrapped up and while some are hanging up their gear until fall savvy hunters are planning their spring turkey and bear hunting adventures joining the boys will be master chef scott lasath of the sporting chef and the legendary jim shockey from jim shockey's hunting adventures the revolution is presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv saturdays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadeerShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. So we talked a lot of the Wilder side. Mike, what were your thoughts on Fury? Did you come out of this fight impressed with him? I believe Teddy Atlas said he's comparable to Muhammad Ali. What do you think about that statement? You know, that, that's uh, maybe overly lofty praise, but I mean, Fury came to play, man. You know, he delivered. He, he was very well prepared. You mentioned he was in great shape. Not just did he uh, look, you know, the part in terms of the muscle, but he also lost a lot of bad weight as well. And uh, his, you know, punches were impactful. And that, that's what they need to be. And uh, it was kind of unfortunate because I saw somebody uh, sending out, I don't know if it's something Photoshopped or, or video shopped or whatever it would be called, where they were kind of trying to prove that there might be like bricks or something in, in Fury's gloves. Um, well, you know, funny, and I, that and I footage hate- was from the first fight, too. People was were trying yeah. to act like that was like that just happened. And that yeah, I don't even... like those kind of allegations, and I no. did not know. I didn't really give it a lot of uh, yeah. t- to think time. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that's how impressive he fought. Sure. It was that people are, are trying to think of excuses as to how he could have been so dominant, how his punches could have been, uh, you know, so pow- you know, landing such power, you know, powerful punches, that many of them. And, uh, and we saw the damage that it did to Wilder. I was actually very concerned for his hearing, you yes, know, the um, eardrum that was, kind yeah, of I was very concerned about that. And, uh, I was actually kind of yelling out loud, you know, throw the, throw in the towel. You know, I, I thought the, the fight was done probably yes. two rounds Round. before it rounds. actually was. Um, and I was kind of hoping that they would throw in the white towel just for this young man's health and safety. 
And uh, and ultimately, when they did it, the guy's such a warrior. He was pissed. He was not at all happy about it. He wanted to keep going, but um, that that just shows his competitive spirit. And I think there was a quote that said something kind of along the lines of, you know, fight or die, basically. That's yeah. kind of his spirit. So, um, you know, but yeah, man, this was this was a, a great fight, I think, uh, for, for Fury. I think he is, you know, the best heavyweight boxer uh, uh, in the planet. And, uh, you know, they obviously have a, a third rematch coming up because there's a clause in the contract. Um, you know, I know that'll probably Joshua be before July, I, I, I think. I think so. I know Joshua wanted to kind of uh, fill that spot for the summer fight. but And they even uh, offered to pay, you know, to, to give Wilder a payoff to not do the fight. So oh, they did move, they? Okay. They could move right on. That. But he, he has the option. Like, he has already um, said he wants the rematch. So he has the right. Because if he comes back and he, he beats him, you know what I mean? Like then everything changes. Then you're a one, bit. one, and one. Then, exactly. So then you, you're going to have a fourth. You know. Um. So I. I that would be cool because we've been missing that in, in heavyweight. Yeah, I heavyweight love, division I love in a long time. I have no problem uh, with a rivalry, especially a really no. good one. And uh, and this Wilder's is exactly better type of thing. than we saw. He's yeah. better than that. And and, oh, yeah. and Fury and Fury's improving, right? I I think it's safe. We can we can say that. Fury, at least for the for the near future, he can continue to get better every time because he we got to remember he's just still coming back. He yeah. he took a couple years out of his life when he was on top and he gained a hundred pounds and he went through all this stuff. He's still getting back to where his body is like is going to continue to improve and continue to get better. And this was only the second time Wilder has been knocked down ever in his career. He yeah, had, it, it's been a, it's been a decade. Since he was knocked down in any fight in the if ring, if anything, he's the knockout artist. I think yeah, his, uh, so his KO percentage is in the mid nineties or something like that. So he got beat by and picked apart by a very good fighter who, you know, came into this fight and he was he, he's like firing on all cylinders right now. And then just one more thing to mention about uh, about Fury, at least what I what I think is so impressive is he fired his trainer leading into this fight. That was the trainer. That helped get him back through all of the struggles, through all the drug addiction, help him, helped him return, you know, get back into boxing, and you fire that guy. To, to do that, that's got to be a difficult decision to make. And he really must have thought, you know what, I love this guy. He helped me get through all these struggles. But if I want to take the next step, I'm going to need somebody else. And he went out and he made that move, and he 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 was a different fighter, and he was so much more aggressive. He's always been a good boxer. He's always been someone who can who can you know go twelve rounds with you, and he'll probably win because he's a very good tactician in in like a Floyd Mayweather comparison, right? Yeah, he was way more aggressive in this fight than we've seen in recent memory, and and I mean I just applaud him because thinking about that, and I see over and over, it's like man, this guy that that brought you out of the doldrums. Helped you get your whole life back on track, and you and you got rid of him right before the biggest fight of your life. But you you knew that you had to do that. I, I mean, that just shows this guy is a very very smart dude. He gets it. I mean, he was singing, hey, he was singing karaoke. Yeah, it was the whole something? audience, Miss American Pie. You know, somebody said, "Can you imagine if you're Deontay Wilder, you got knocked out for the first time? This guy just w- wiped the mat with you, and he's singing karaoke with twenty thousand people <laughs> right after he beats your ass. Like that's just the ultimate smack in the with, face." With but. a with a new trainer, yeah. You know, maybe he needed a fresh start. I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of fresh starts, 
Let's talk a little baseball. Madison Bumgarner, fresh start, Arizona Diamondbacks. But you mean Mason Saunders? Mason Saunders, the rodeo, I can't call him a rodeo champion, but <laughs> rodeo, rodeo clown, extraordinaire. Is that I, don't I don't know what they're called. Yeah. I uh, mean, he, that's, that's funny. He, yeah, I was going to say, he had a really good first outing, uh, solid first outing, uh, retired first five batters he faced, four of them by strikeout, did give up a home run to Derek Dietrich, uh, so one run over two innings, he felt good, he said, and, uh, you know, this is a guy who signed a five for 85 deal with the, the D-backs and uh, ultra-competitive NL West. Um, They're going to be one know, of the most improved teams in baseball so. this year, and, and definitely so. in the National League, like I think they have a legitimate shot to, to buy sure. for a while. And they got the Marte brothers now too. So, yep. uh, well, they're not really brothers, but you know, because they were happen. better than they should have been last year already. Once they got rid of a couple of their big, it was yep. like they were shedding salary, but they knew that they had some young, very very solid players like coming up through the pipeline, and they basically gave a, a couple of them lots of opportunities last year. And yeah, this team was was better than they were supposed to be, and I think they're going to take another step forward this year. Yeah. I just don't – the National League isn't isn't very strong again. You know, it's it's like really top-heavy with the Dodgers. But I think that mid-tier is pretty good, though. No, no, you're right. There, There's there's a, a top tier in the Dodgers. There's a couple of bad teams, and then everybody else is middle class. Correct. There's a bunch of decent teams, and then it's kind of – it looks like it'll be very similar again in the American League where you're probably going to have three or four of the worst teams in the league coming out of the American League, and, and then you'll have maybe, you know, two or three – Top 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 tier teams and then kind of a, a middle class, but I think the worst like the worst teams are going to be in the American League. Yeah, and you know, um, you know, we're talking about the NL West transitioning to the AL West, where um, I think that the Astros are going to definitely have a down year. It already seems like the heckling has already gotten to the players, and uh, we haven't even, we haven't even got started, bro. So through five be games, a down year, they uh, were hit by pitches seven times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen an owner really hurt his team uh quietly Artie moreno has really hurt his angels ball club it looks like canning is gonna have to have an mri on a sore elbow that could be problematic pitcher um and the reason i'm blaming Artie moreno a little bit is because he was very dis- disappointed in the way that the dodgers handled the kind of um hold and wait and see approach with the mookie Betts deal and uh, there was another deal that was announced either that day or the day before, and that was involving Jock Peterson and uh, Ross Stripling. And um, and so they kind of were like, well, it's kind of dependent on the other deal, so hold on a second. Moreno got impatient, and he's like, forget it. I'm not doing this deal with you guys. And uh, Stripling would sure be a, uh, a nice yeah, addition great. to have right about now, don't you think, Gina? Oh, man. he would be, Dude, he would slot in right in the middle of their rotation. Not even as like at the back end. He'd slot in as like a number two, three. We gotta remember this guy was an all-star. Yeah. Um, this, Actually, this they showed a they showed a stat by the way. Um, uh, somewhere I'd love to be able to cite it. Maybe I can uh, tweet it out. Um, basically, in the second half, he had the better season statistically between um, Walker, uh, Kershaw, and and Stripling. He, in terms of really the ERA, um, I think the strikeout rate was very comparable. Um, but there's, there's a couple metrics where he, he was up on every, everybody else. And, um, so yeah, I mean, he's really, really solid, very underrated pitcher. Well, and when some of these dogs, like the Dodgers have been so deep that you forget players like Stripling or Maeda, but someone like Ryu, 
You know, they, those are top-of-the-line starting pitchers in oh, most yeah. other places, but the Dodgers have just had an embarrassment of riches the last few years to where... People forget that Urias came up as, a, what, a, a teenager just a couple of years ago. you're going to see Urias this year, I and guarantee you. They're going to oh, take the gloves he, he's off still this developing. year. Yep. They yeah, finally have guy, said no restrictions this year, and he's going to be an absolute stud. He's been babied a little bit because they didn't oh, want yeah. to... You know, they didn't want to, to hurt his arm. And then he's had some issues. He had an incident last year where he missed some time. But this guy is going to be really, really good this year. I think he's going to be, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he's an all-star. I really wouldn't. And he's, gonna, he's, he's going to, like, surprise some people who aren't really expecting him. You know, and then yeah, no. they've they that, got and that's, an, that's and another kind of fantasy. Mix, so, yeah. Yep. That's another fantasy nugget there uh, for those who uh, don't know who he is, and and understandably so. Unless you're in Los Angeles or follow the Dodgers, you may not know him. He was you know used out of the bullpen uh, sparingly last year, kind of uh, more as the season went on. But uh, another uh, headline from uh, the last day or two: uh, Chris Sale is going to start the season on the IL, um, and that's due to uh, illness. He had pneumonia, and that's kind of set him back a little bit. But he's uh, basically at least it's not what, something bad like that. You want to say at least ammonia can be scary, but sure, it's not sure. like uh, it's not arm issues. Seem a serious arm issue, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and all it really means is that he is not going to be the opening day starter. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to get into the first series or uh, or the second series. So, what's the but rotation? He, he'll be there like at the start of the season, basically. For them, with like we only have about three or four minutes left in the show. We're kind of just uh, spitballing on some of the baseball news. What what's the the rotation kind of looking like for, for them with their top three or four, like how does it set up in, in Boston right now? Well, and it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because, um, you know, with the uh, news out of Yankees uh, camp uh, about Severino, you know, you kind of look at it and say, you know what, if, uh, if you're comparing uh, depth charts, you know, sale Eduardo Rodriguez quietly had a very big year last very year. Good. I don't know how yeah. many wins, but I think he had, you know, 17, 18 wins, something about like that. Uh, Martin Perez, Nate Ivaldi. Uh, so I mean that's a that's a pretty decent Probably rotation about four for an for American League rotation. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh you know Brandon Workman um I don't know if he could, you know, duplicate his efforts from last year, but he proved to be a pretty good closer. Uh his numbers were were pretty lights out and they got a uh a, a potential fifth starter in Ryan Weber or Weber. I'm not even sure how it's pronounced. Uh he, truth be told, he wasn't very good in uh, 2019 statistically. But this is a guy, he came up through the Braves farm system, uh, and uh, the Braves kind of liked what they saw. Um, he was involved in a couple of trades and uh, was with Tampa the year before, got into 18 games with Boston. But apparently he's made a uh, couple of tweaks and um, is vying for that fifth spot. We'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, uh, if they've got a healthy starting rotation, you know, it may be one of the better ones behind Tampa in the uh, AL East and, uh, you know, maybe a top five top seven rotation in the American league. It just a uh, couple minutes left. And the one thing that I, I was talking to you about off there that, uh, yesterday was we, we now know that the Astros did in fact cheat throughout the playoffs throughout the 2017 world series. And there's information out now that the one, the game one of the world series, remember Clayton Kershaw was awesome in, in, in that game. One of the world series. In fact, he went seven innings, gave up three hits, one run and struck out 11 against the Astros and he won that game and the Dodgers won three to one and in game five when he started on the road it was game five where he went four and two-thirds inning gives up four hits and three walks and he gave up six earned runs he only struck out two that day well he threw 51 breaking balls 
the Astros swung and missed on exactly zero. That's, That's an impossibility. Kershaw had a 44% swing and miss rate on his slider in 2017, 35% swing and miss rate on his curve, 25% on changeup. The odds of 51 consecutive are 0.0000000372%. In other words, that's a mathematical impossibility. It's about as improbable as it gets. Uh, Obviously, you you have to have some real good information in order to be able to, to lay off and to um, you know be be able to you know put up that kind of uh, success rate uh, or a lack of success for Kershaw, um, you know, yeah, that's and let's elaborate on it more because we're we're pretty much up against it. But yeah, we're gonna that's find out about the Red Sox number. one of these days too. Their their information is gonna come out. So it we'll looks find like out that's now. gonna be uh, coming out maybe next week. They were hoping for it this week. But that is all the time we have for today's show. As always, thank you for listening and joining us. We appreciate your support. Have a tremendous sports weekend. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.